Let me invite us to turn to the Word of God this evening. If I, uh, rather, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 2. So used to 1 Samuel, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Let us hear the reading of God's word. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, It was the men of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you, because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Nah, commander of, the Saul, uh, of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, uh, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead, and the Ash Ashurites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. And Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. But the house of Judah, Followed David. And, and the time that David was king in Hebron, uh, and the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, the son of Nah, and the servant of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Job, the son of Zeruiah and the servants of David went out and met him and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Job, Let the young men arise and compete with us. And Job said, Let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and the twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Elkath Hazuru, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day. And Abner, the son, uh, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. 
and the and the three sons of Zeruiah were there: Joab, Abishiah, and Asahel. Now Asahel was as swift of foot as um, as a wild gazelle, and Asahel pursued Abner. And as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left uh, from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he said, It is I. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand and to your left, and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear went out uh, at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Amma, which lies uh, before Gaia on the way to uh, the wilderness of Gibeah. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Job, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will, you, will it be before you tell your people to turn from pursuit of their brothers? And Job said, As God lives, if you, have not, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Job blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped, uh, stopped and uh, pursued Israel no more. No, did they fight anymore? And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah, and they crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanaim. Job returned from pursu uh, the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, they were missing from David's servants 19 men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin. 360 of Abner's men, and they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. Let us ask the Lord for help before we hear his word. Dear Lord, we come before you. Your word is beautiful, but your word is not only beautiful, your word is satisfying to our hungry and needy soul. We pray this evening that you would make the beauty of your word to be revealed. We pray that you would feed us from your word as we hear it from this passage. Help me, Lord, to be faithful as I preach your word, to bring it forth with much clarity, simplicity, so that your people would be blessed this evening. Be with us. May Christ be exalted. May he 
be lifted up even as we hear your word. We pray all these things and we make our request in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Um, whenever we look at the word Boda Boda, we normally think of a motorbike, isn't it? But we all know that, or some of us know that, a few years ago, the word Boda Boda meant a bicycle, isn't it? Especially for those who come from Busia. That's where, why they were called Boda Bodas, because you could travel from Busia, Boda, to the other side of Uganda, right? You are crossing the border, and that's where that name came from. So the border borders of a few years ago are not the same border borders of today, isn't it? Today, whenever we hear the word border borders, we have the image of a motorbike, isn't it? But if you look at them, although they are both called border borders, they are different. Yes, they do have two wheels. Yes, they are controlled by one person, but they are fundamentally different. One is powered by an engine, the other one is not, right? The one has to be registered by the government, one does not. One has to be driven by someone who is trained, the other one is not. So although these two have the same name, they might look the same, they are very different. And in the same way, the things of God are very different from the things of men. And especially whenever it comes to the discussion and talk about the kingdom of God. Whenever we hear the kingdom of God, our image is the kingdoms of men, isn't it? We normally think that the kingdom of God is operating in the same way as the kingdoms of men. Because we look at the kingdom of God and we say, the kingdom of God has a king, and the kingdoms of men have a king. The kingdom of God has those who are subjects. The kingdom of men have subjects. And therefore, we tend to think that they are the same. But in reality, they are not the same. They are very different. And I want us this evening to see how the kingdom of God, or the kingdom that is established by God, is very different from the kingdoms that are established by, the, by men or by nations. Because remember, in the, from the book of 1 Samuel, we have been looking at Israel desiring to have their own king, isn't it? They want to be like the other kingdom. They said to Samuel, Samuel, we do not want you to rule over us. We do not want God ruling over us. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. And we saw what happened with Saul and his destruction and his end. But here now we have David having that opportunity for him to be now crowned the king. But as we shall see, the appointed king of God, the man that Yahweh appoints king, will not become king in the way that people will think. He will not become king because 
if there was no Second Samuel chapter 2, we might now think, having read Second Samuel chapter 1, we might now think, now David will become king, isn't it? Now David will be accepted by the whole of Israel. Now David will take up the kingdom. He will take up the armies of Saul will now come to him. That's not the case. The ways of God's established kingdom are very different. They are very different from the kingdoms of men, from how we as men think about God's king, Yahweh's king. And as we look at David, let us look at a number of things that show us how the kingdom of God is so, so different, so set apart from the kingdoms of men. Well, let us see how this is different. If you can please show it on the PowerPoint. First of all, I want us to see from the life of David that the kingdom established by God is accepted by a few. We see from this passage that David goes back to Israel. He leaves the land of the Philistines. He's now back to Israel. But things don't work out as we would think. The death of Saul was a clear providence to David that the ki his kingdom should now be established. And that's why we see him praying. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, uh, said To which shall I go? And he said, To Hebron. And we are told that David goes there with his whole family and his men. We see that David sets his mind to go back to Israel. But we must note that he does not take it for granted. By the way, that's something we need to note, that simply because there has been a providential opening, David still prays. That's one of the things we can learn from him. He prays. He seeks the will of God. And maybe one of the takeaways we can have from this passage is that it should be noted that the godly do not see every open door to be the will of God. That those who are godly, even though they see an open door, they still do what? They, they pray. Let's please take that as an example from David. Don't think that because a door has been opened, you have to walk into it. David has to pray. He knows that soul is dead. He knows that this is his opportunity to return and be king. But he still prays. Let us learn that. The Lord answers David and he tells him to go to Hebron, one of the cities of Judah. And on his arrival, we see that David is met by the men of Judah who make him king. He's anointed king there. 
wait, something is missed when we look at this verse. We would have expected that all of Israel, now that Saul is dead, all of them to do what? To come to Hebron and say, you know what? We know that Samuel anointed you. Now, come and be our king. But that's not the case. It is only the people of Judah, please note that, who anoint him to be king. What happened to the ten tribes? Remember that Saul, when Saul was anointed to be king, he led the whole of Israel, that is Judah and Israel, all the twelve tribes. But this is not the case with David. When, David, when Saul was anointed king, everyone followed him. That's not what you would expect. You would expect that when God's man is anointed king, everyone will follow him, isn't it? But that's not the case. It's actually the opposite that happens. That Saul is followed by everyone. He has, if, if, if this was a vote taken, we can say that Saul had... 99.9% .9 of the votes, isn't it? But when Saul, I mean, when David is anointed king, he only has like 10% of the votes. It's only one tribe, the tribe of Judah, that acknowledges him as king. We even see that David makes a move to win over the other 10 tribes. If you look at verses uh, 4 to 5, we see that David sends to Jabesh, Gilead, a messenger, right? A messenger is sent to one of the tribes there. And we see that he makes an effort to reach out to them. He blesses them. May the Lord bless you, men of Jabesh, Gilead, because Jabesh, Gilead was one of the, were among the famous people, among the ten tribes of Israel. Remember, Israel is to the north. For those who, maybe you do not know your Bible uh, uh, geography. The ten tribes were to the north. Judah was to the south. So David sends a messenger uh, to the northern tribes. And this was actually to the north and then to the other side of the river Jordan. He blesses them. He makes an effort to win them over, hoping that by this then all the ten tribes will now accept him. But we see that in spite of David's effort, he does not win them over. He sends a message, a messenger. And even tells them, look at verse 7. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul your Lord is dead. So he's saying, he's almost, they know this. Eh? But he's telling them, Saul is dead. And the house of jo Judah has anointed me king over them. So he's saying, Saul is dead. And have been anointed king. So come and follow me. But do they respond? Do you see a respond anywhere in your Bible? No response. 
David is not accepted by the ten tribes. Even when he makes a plea to them, even when he stretches out his hand to them. And this is often the case with the kingdom of God. It is small. It is unpopular. It is even rejected by those who, quote-unquote, it belongs to. Unlike the kingdoms of men, which are built on acceptance, isn't it? Kingdoms of men are built on acceptance, that people have to accept you for you to be king. We don't see that with the kingdom of God. David is still God's anointed king, even though he is accepted by a small population, even though he is only accepted by Judah. Do we remember God's anointed king, the Lord Jesus Christ? Was he popular in Israel? What did he actually say of his king? He says, I have come to my own and my own rejected me. He came to his own and they rejected him. They despised him. They actually told him, who made you king of Arab? They took him even to Pilate and they denied. And when Pilate said, this is, this is your king, they said, no, we don't have any other king apart from Caesar. Christ was accepted by only a few. But does that take away from the reality that he is the king of kings and the lords of lords? It doesn't. God's kingdom is not a kingdom that is seeking popularity. It is not a kingdom of numbers as we think. The Bible tells us that many are called, but few are chosen. That's the reality of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. We see that the people of Israel reject the ultimate king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as they rejected David, just as they ignored David, they would ignore the great son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 9 verses 27 to 31, this is what the Bible says, talking about Israel and how they rejected Christ, who is their king. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sons of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah, as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Look at that. A remnant only except Christ. Go to Israel today. Look at the percentage of Christians there. Very small. I would even say, here in Kenya, the true number of Christians, the true number of those who are in the kingdom of God are fewer than what we think. Many call themselves Christians, but yet they reject the kingdom of Christ. They reject the lordship of Christ over their heart, over their soul, to their own detriment, to their own judgment. 
This is always the case, dear brethren. This will always be the case that the few, the few are those who will run to him. Now, does it mean that we don't pray that many people come into the kingdom of God? Oh, no, we pray. That's why we evangelize. That's why we are sent out, just as David sent out a messenger. We are sent out as messengers to preach the gospel to the lost. But few respond. The kingdom of God is accepted by a few. But then secondly, another thing that differentiates the kingdom of God from the kingdoms of men is that the kingdom of God is not only accepted by a few, the kingdom of God is opposed by the powerful. Those who have power, those who have influence, those who have knowledge, those who are in great positions of authority and influence, they are the ones who will drive away people from the kingdom of God. And we see this as we look at the kingdom of David being established. So remember, David has, has just sent a messenger. What is the response? Verse 9, look at verse 9. But Abner, the son of Na, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanai, and he made him king over Gilead, and the Ashurites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. Can you see all those and, 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 and? We don't see that with David. The only people who accept David are Judah. But when this false king, if I may call him that, is installed by Abner, we see that he is accepted by many, isn't it? And the Ashurites, and Gilead, and Jezreel. I mean, over and over and over again. And this is led by a powerful man, a commander of the army. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of God's chosen man is not only disregarded and uh, accepted by a few, we see it is often actively opposed. The kingdom of God is actively opposed. The kingdom of God always acts attracts opposition. In this chapter, we see that no sooner, uh, no sooner uh, uh, do we see that David is the anointed king, that another king is, in, is installed to lead the ten tribes of Israel. And who is leading this? In a swift, swift move, we see Abner, one of Saul's generals, took a son of Saul and moves to make him king over Israel. This move is not for the good of the people of Israel, 
but it was to resist and to ensure that David is not accepted by the ten tribes. So Abner was not doing this because David was a bad man. No, no, no. He knew it. He knew who David was. But he knew maybe David coming in and becoming king, we will lose our authority. And David is opposed. He rises up. He ensures that the kingdom of David is not established amongst the tribes of Israel. We are told Israel follows Ishbosheth, but the house of Judah followed David. And this happened for a number of years. It wasn't simply for a day, for a week, for a month. It was for years, for post. We actually see how aggressive Abner is to ensure that David is not accepted. If you notice, Abner does something. He takes Ishbosheth to Mahanaim and he made him king there. So, why Mahanaim? Well, Mahanaim is at the border between uh, the half tribe of Manasseh. Remember, the men of Jabesh Gilead came from that side, they came from uh, Manasseh and Dan. And therefore, it was a way of ensuring that Ishbosheth is accepted by the men of Jabesh Gilead and not David. In other words, David's headquarters is in Hebron. Look at our king. Our king is here with us in Mahanaim. He's near us, he's close to us. He's your king, the people's king. It was very good branding. A very good, humanly speaking, a very good move to ensure that David is not accepted. And this is always, again, the case with the kingdom of God. From history, from the day one of redemptive history, we see that the kingdom of God is opposed. From the garden of his Eden, we see God, who is the king over Adam and Eve, being opposed. The evil one comes into the garden and he causes Adam and Eve to doubt God, who is their king. And this happens, by the way, throughout the scripture, throughout the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, even to the time when the ultimate king, the Lord Jesus Christ, shows up in. The devil is still doing it, even today. Trying to offer a better alternative to God's king. Trying to offer a better alternative, just like Abner was doing here. Making moves and talking to the generals and the people who are the captains, powerful people, to see to it that David does not become king. The devil is always doing the same, opposing the kingdom, moving from one place to another, bringing a false king, right? 
He is the one who brings up the Antichrist. Interesting that they are called that, right? Antichrist. And the word Antichrist doesn't mean, it can mean opposing Christ, or it can mean in the place of Christ, a substitute of Christ. The devil is always offering a substitute. One of the ways in which the kingdom of God is being opposed is that there are always substitute being raised. To ensure that people do not go to the rightful king, the Lord Jesus. The kingdom of the Messiah is opposed through force and through cunning by the forces of evil. And we especially see that it is the elite, it is the powerful, it is the wise, it is the wealthy in this world who oppose who, who are on the forefront of opposing the kingdom of god the kingdom of god has always been despised and opposed by those who are powerful by those who are great if you look at the book of revelation you will see that the people who are opposed to the christ are who it is the merchants it is the kings. It is those who are powerful, who are actively opposing the coming kingdom of the Messiah. This is what has been happening. It is not something new. It's always been there. It is happening right now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is what Paul says of the reality of God's kingdom. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For sins, in the wisdom of God, the world did not go, did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greek seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greek. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world. To shame the world. God chose what is weak in the world. To shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not. To bring to nothing. Things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the reality. That look at those who come to Christ. Is it the great and the powerful of this world? If you look at the list of the 
billionaires and the richest people, the top 50 richest people in the world, how many of them are Christians? How many are professing believers? If you even look at the top 100 of those who are the wealthiest, the most powerful people, how many of them are professing Christians? Very few, if any, isn't it? That has always been the design. That actually the powerful, the great, those with influence, have always opposed the kingdom of God. It has always been like this. And it will always... Don't, again, don't find it strange that those with influence, those, with, those who are the wisest, they the most learned people, the most gifted people. Look at the great industrialists. Look at the great people in tech, the founders of Facebook and, 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 and Apple and all those things. Actually, aren't they the people who are opposing God? Aren't they the ones who are supporting things like abortion? I don't know whether you heard that some companies uh, have said because of the law that was passed in the U.S. that uh, Roe versus Wade uh, making it uh, unconstitutional. That some companies have said that they are willing to pay for their employees to go to another state to get abortions. Did you hear that? I mean, these are the powerful people in the world. Look at how big companies like Google and Apple are supporting things like the LGBTQ and all those things. This has always been the pattern. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of God. It will be opposed by the merchants. It will be opposed by the kings. It will be opposed by those who are influential. Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised that we are few and we are seen as foolish. But then thirdly, and as I finish up, so the kingdom of God, and we see the kingdom that the king, kingdom of God's anointed King David is accepted by a few, right? It's only Judah that accepts him. But we also see that he is opposed by Abner, a very influential man, and he wins the day because we are told that all Israel actually follows Abner. So his work, uh, his plan works of opposing David. But another thing we must know of God's established kingdom is that God's established kingdom does not advance by means of the flesh. We see that in this passage, something very sad happens. We see people picking up swords and we see bloodshed in the efforts of one kingdom establishing itself over the other or that competition. We see a duel between the men of Israel and the men of Judah who are uh, uh, for David. 
But what we must see, looking at this passage and the other passages that will follow, is that the ways of the kingdoms of men use the sword to gain and establish themselves. And in this passage, we have an example of how the rightful king of Israel will not be established. The kings of men, the kings of the nations will be established by the sword. Not God's anointed. It will not come by the sword. It is not by power. It is not by mind. It is by the spirit of God. We shall see that it is not through human wit, human strength, or the power of the sword that the kingdom of God will be established. In this passage, we are told of an initiative that is taken by the men of David to counter the move of Abner. We are told that Abner, the son of Na, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Manahem to Gibeon. And we are told, and Joab, the son of Zeruiah, the, son, uh, the servants of David, went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And what happened? They have a duel. Verse 16, and each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword by his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Verse 17, and the battle was very fierce that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Much will, will be said and much will continue to be said in this book to show how uh, David's kingdom will not be established by the power of the sword. We see here that although uh, the men of David win the battle. Does it end with David being king? No. Actually, blood is shed. Unnecessary blood is shed. We must notice that we do not have a word that David had authorized, had authorized such an action. The Bible is very silent about whether David authorized this or not, but at least we see that it is an initiative of Joab. And as we shall see, Joab is a man who ends up being condemned in the Bible. He was a bloodthirsty man. He's a man who David, before David died, he says to, Sol, uh, to Solomon, his son, do not let Joab have gray hair. In other words, destroy Joab. Joab was not a good man. He was a bloodthirsty man. We shall see this as we continue to study the book of 2 Samuel. You will see that Joab was a man who loved using the sword. Joab would imagine that if he met Abner and if he defeated him in the battle, 
Then the kingdom of the Lord's anointed will be established. But that's not what happens. The weapons and the armor of the flesh seem best and sure way to establish the things of God. But as we shall see, it does. We, even, we are even told about the initiative of Asahel, and we are told about his abilities. Look at, at this man. So the Bible introduces us to Asahel. Not just Joab, but Asahel. And we are told, now Asahel was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner. And we would imagine, wow. I mean, here is David's hero. He is the man who will ensure that he will use his abilities and his skills and bring down uh, Abner. He's described as a man who is swift. But in spite of his ability, Asahel's efforts end in an anti-climax. Immediately he rises up, immediately he goes down. Asahel just appears into the picture and he disappears. Just like that. And you wonder how quickly we are told that Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out of his back and he fell and he died where he was. Nothing comes out of his efforts. Why? He's not by the power of the it is not by the power of the sword that the kingdom of God will be built. That is the message that the author is passing. Don't think that the sword will establish the kingdom of God. That's how men establish their kingdom, isn't it? By the way, if you, for example, study Islam, the rise of Islam in, uh, uh, is it AD 600, you will realize that Islam became famous and it spread because of the sword, isn't it? Go and read the history. It is because of the efforts of Muhammad and his followers using the sword. That's how he conquered Mecca using the sword. That's how he conquered all those other cities and all those other towns using the sword. That's how it spread to North Africa and some parts of Europe. And even today still spread by the sword, not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will not spread by the sword. In spite of the victory that the men of David have, still, things still remain the same. Blood has only been shed. The kingdom of God will be established by the work of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God will be established by the work of the Holy Spirit. It will not be established by force, by sword. David will not become a king by simply shedding blood. Actually, we see that God says something interesting to David. 
that the reason why you, David, will not build the temple is because there is what? Who remembers? Why did God say that David will not build the temple? Because he has blood in his hand. That's very interesting. That's a very interesting reason that God gives. Blood in his hand. It's not that David shed the blood of the people of Israel. David was not an, an uh, 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 you know, those autocrats. But because of the many wars, actually God says the many wars, not just the simply like the blood of Uriah, but the many wars, you have fought many wars. You have shed so much blood. That's not how the kingdom of God Actually, the kingdom of God is the opposite. We see that in the Bible, the kingdom of the Messiah, the great son of David, is not established by him shedding the blood of other people. It is by him doing what? Shedding his own blood. That's how the kingdom of God is so different from this other. It is the king shedding his own blood. It is the king hanging on the cross, dying on that cross, dying and being buried. That's how the kingdom of God will be established. And we need to be reminded of this. Because oftentimes we rely on the means of the flesh. Well, for us, maybe we might not use the sword. But we tend to use, we think techniques, we think programs, and we think all these other things will establish the kingdom of God. Ah, if we only take politics, if only the government is filled with Christians, then the kingdom of God will be established. No way. If only Christians take up the businesses and we become, we take up uh, the, the, the top 10, 50, uh, top 10 uh, wealthiest people in the world, then the kingdom of God will advance. No way. If only we take up media. Isn't that what people are saying? That Christians will advance the kingdom of God when we take up government and we take up media and we take up uh, they call them, the, is it the seven, seven pillars or seven mountains? That's four. That's using the means of the flesh. That's not how the kingdom of God advances. Kingdom of God will advance as we preach the gospel, as we pray, as we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, as we proclaim the cross, the dying Savior, the bleeding Savior, not by our own wit, strength, these efforts do not establish David's kingdom. It only leads to more bloodshed. We must hear the call of our Savior. Remember when Peter had a sword and he, he showed Christ, Hey Christ, here I have a sword to protect you. And Christ told him, put away the sword. Put away that sword. Kingdom will not be established by you, Peter, having a sword and cutting off people's ears. 
you can cut off all the ears of the people in the world. That's not how the kingdom of God is established. It has to be established by the Spirit of God. We need to be people who are prayerful. People who trust and hope in God. To those who are unbelievers and who have heard this message. And you are looking, you have trusted and you have hoped in the kingdoms of men. I hope that one of the things that you have seen is that the kingdoms of men will not bring true, true deliverance. They will not help you. Kings come and kings go. But they will not deal with the sin in your heart. They will not deal with the ultimate problem of your heart, which is that you are an enemy of God. And you can use every means possible. You can use the means of the flesh to deal with your sin. You can use religion. You can use good works. They will not help you. It is only when you come to this thing, the Lord Jesus, who shed his blood, who died, to save sinners, like repent and believe, then you will have, then you will be part of this great kingdom of God. To the believer, let me end by reading this passage. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not rest, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of, the, of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the, uh, in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Let us trust in God. Let us put on the armor of God. Not the armor of flesh. The armor of flesh will surely fail. The kingdom of God is different. Please, the kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of men. Don't look at the kingdoms of men and think that that's how God operates. No way. The kingdom of God is accepted by them. We have to. The kingdom of God is opposed by the powerful and it will always be that the powerful and the great are opposed to the king. The kingdom of God will not be established by the means of the flesh, but by the means of the spirit. Oh Lord, we come to you. We confess and we repent that we have often seen your kingdom and we have compared it to the kingdoms of men. We have thought that through our own abilities, we can win people over. That we can fight those who oppose us by the means of the flesh. Oh Lord, forgive us and help us that we would be those who see the greatness of your kingdom. And how your kingdom is different. Because you are different. You are holy. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to depend on your spirit. Help us to be encouraged that even though we are few, that even though it's a few people who 
call on the name of Christ. So that yet we are loved. That even though we are opposed by the powerful, yes, the great king of heaven is on our side. Oh Lord, may these words grant us strength to look to you, even as we battle on as soldiers in your kingdom. Remind us of this. Help us to put on the whole armor of God. And we pray and we ask all this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.